0: Welcome to the Kids Like You and Me podcast. We're here with Al Quint, longtime punk photographer, publisher of Suburban Voice, fanzine, blog, record label, um, host of the weekly radio show Sonic Overload. Al's also played in several bands over the years, including Isolated, No System, Shattered Silence, and the Stakeheads. He's also uh, was a columnist for Maximum Rock and Roll. Uh, how's it going now?
1: It's going good. How are you guys doing?
0: Doing all right. Yeah, I was just listening to uh, This is Boston, Not LA. Just trying to get in the mood for some classic uh, Boston hardcore.
1: Yep, very important compilation. I, that was the uh, spring of 1982. And there were uh, three compilations that came out that spring that really kind of changed things. That was one of them, Boston, Not LA. The other one was Flex Your Head, which was kind of my entry to hearing a lot of the DC hardcore bands. And then there was the first Punk and Disorderly compilation, which uh, introduced me to a lot of the uh, early 80s UK punk bands. So definitely pretty well-rounded uh, education, I guess you could say at that point.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. And uh, and I, I love too with the, with the Sonic Overload show too, that you, you keep wide variety, but also keep up to what's happening today. And we actually, we met briefly at a show one of the last shows I attended it was at this house in Alston, uh, the last house. Uh, there was Cartridge, Final Gasp, and Urin from Berlin. Oh uh, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, that was a great show.
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. It was. I love that space too, as, as well. Yeah, no, it was, it was. That was. Um, I had never heard of Cartridge or Final Gasp before that show, and I we were. Uh, I realized that uh, Pete, the drummer in Cartridge, played in uh, a couple other bands that uh, were a little bit more familiar with uh, the Nice Guys and Idiot Jeans, who I I noticed you've played Nice Guys uh, quite a bit on your show as well.
1: Yeah, I really like them. I've only seen them a few times, but yeah, good band, definitely.
2: I don't think I've ever met you, Al, um, and I actually honestly don't think we've probably attended too many of the same shows, which I think is wild, because there's there seem to be in Boston, at least in current times, different like garage punk, hardcore punk, weird punk, different kinds of kind of breakoffs. I don't know if you noticed that or?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's always the way it's been in Boston. You've always had a lot of parallel scenes, even in the punk and hardcore thing. You know, we got band, you know, more like the straight edge scene and, you know, type of people, I guess, that would go see bands like Cartridge, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, there's always been these clicks and sub scenes and all that. I'm always looking for something different. I wish I, I'd, I'd love to go see more like garage punk shows, that kind of thing. But I'm sometimes out of the loop in that, but I'm, I'm always trying to go see something different. I, I don't want to just go see the same old, you know, hardcore punk bands all the time. But like the, I mean, I was younger, I used to go to a lot of shows and I'd go see a lot of different things. I mean, my, my musical tastes are, I think, fairly wide.
0: Yeah. Sure, yeah definitely um yeah that's we're a little more um we're not like you know like like, like you we're also we do like a, a different kind of variety or different stuff or we're, we're a little bit more familiar with like the garage punk stuff than not as familiar with like some of the hardcore stuff mm-hmm. um it's definitely like yeah like a show like that, like that uh last host one was more you know like a, a little bit nice like a little bit more of like a sort of you know window into that scene a lot more mm. i think there was a show though that we all would have been at that was uh it was the band institute yeah uh played at the marxie center with nice guys ursula and dame mm.
1: yeah yep. Yeah. i've seen a couple of times i saw them at the boiler room that was that was a crazy show
0: oh uh, yeah yeah see that's the thing i it's like we've heard it we heard of the boiler room but we never made it out to it i'm actually kind of uh,
2: yeah what was uh, it like
1: I just knew people that booked there and went to the shows and they, th- th- it was great that they stayed open for three years. And one of the reasons they did was they were able to keep the shows on the down low a bit, not sending up Facebook, uh, Facebook events or anything like that. It's, I suppose it becomes a little exclusionary because you do have to like the right people. Or as that uh, someone told me years ago, you know the secret uh, handshake. I found yeah. out through flyers and just talking to people I knew. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it was a great venue and in terms of they had I saw bands from all over the world there and it wasn't always you know the same types of bands on on each show they'd mix it up a little bit um but it, it was a very well-run space I mean they knew what they were doing and um there I don't ever recall seeing like any fights or major altercations I remember at one time there was a guy who wasn't a regular that was like crashing into people and getting a little too aggressive and Uh, four of the guys took him outside. I'm like, oh, they're going to beat the crap out of him. Turns out they took him outside, basically scolded him and let him back in. So, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, you know, you look at it from the outside. It was this, you know, dilapidated building that looked like this was on the verge of falling down. And you go downstairs and you realize there's only one way out. And this is a total death trap if if anything happens. And during that Institute show, people were setting up fireworks while they were playing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well,
0: that's so, but yeah,
1: they're, they're yeah, I mean, perfect <laughs> example of a band I like that doesn't really, you know, fit, fit a specific style, I suppose you could say.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just wanted to go a little bit back. So, of course, you have the suburban voice scene. So you're from Squam God and you're currently in Peabody. We're actually from Wakefield. So we're, yeah, not too far. Nope. Um, or at least I'm still in Wakefield. Glenn lives in Somerville now, but orig- both originally from Wakefield. So, um, yeah, I said, I've been going to shows for years. I was from the suburbs, so it's, it's kind of funny that I sort of had that sort of kinship where uh, sort of like an outsider of uh, Boston in some ways.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I grew up in Swampscott, and I, after I graduated from college, I lived in Lynn for 14 years and been in Peabody since 97. But I went to Boston University. I lived on campus. So, you know, and this was around the time when there. I mean, I'm going to date myself, but I was there from 78 to 82. And I got to see so many great shows and great bands during that time frame. So it was really great, you know, living in the city when I did.
0: Mm. Did you see Lou Miami?
1: Yeah, I saw him a couple of times. Yeah. In fact, his bass player, Helen, she went to BU and she lived in the same dorm as me, but I didn't really know her. Yeah, I saw Lou a couple of times. Oh, excellent. I mean, I like I said, I used to go see all types of different bands. I mean, I saw the classic Boston punk bands and, you know, garage bands. I used to see the Liars occasionally. Um, but, yeah, like I said, good good mix of uh, bands that I got to see. Yeah,
2: what definitely. What was your favorite like venue like back yeah. during college?
1: Back during college. I... You know, I like the paradise. They used to do a lot of good shows. There was, it was a little more chill than it is now, I suppose. Um, but I, I mean, I saw once again, I saw U2's first two Boston shows at the paradise. Um, and of course I liked the rat too. I went to the rat quite a bit, but there, I mean, there were, you know, there were some really good clubs. I mean, there was a club in Cambridge called the club went there a couple of times. Um, there was a club in, actually I didn't go there until after college, there was a club in the financial district called Cantones, which was around Maddie. early on, but I didn't go there until after I got out of college, but yeah, I mean, it's mostly club shows, There really weren't DIY shows, I mean, there was, there were loft spaces uh, near downtown Boston that did show, but unfortunately I never, uh, never made it out to those that really knew about them, so. And I, I just saw recently that the contortions played there. And it's like, wow, it would have been so sick seeing the contortions in a yeah. lot of space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. I haven't looked into this, but I, someone told me that they played at a house show like in like recent years. Uh, I was actually curious about that. Uh do you remember like the first like kind of like house or under underground show you went to like a non-traditional venue that maybe like you know uh underground venue that or like when those started popping up in boston
1: well like i said there were some loft spaces early on but uh the first two diy you know punk or hardcore spaces were uh the media workshop which was on boylston street and gallery east which was down by south station uh, they started both started doing shows in late 81 early 82 and i never made it to a gallery workshop um ex- yeah excuse me. i never made it to media workshop but i did see uh three shows at gallery east uh, starting in 1982 they, they only did shows for about a year or so but they got some pretty sick ones while they were open the, fir- the first show i saw there was minor threat and they had them play second because they were afraid the show was going to get shut down. It was it was minor threat, FUs, SSD, and the proletariat. Wow. Now I can't now I can't remember shows I saw last year, but some I think I can rem- I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but that that was a really cool DIY venue. And but after the after they shut down, I mean most most of the punk and hardcore shows were held at clubs. I mean, there was there was the Channel, which was a huge club over by the South Station. And they did a lot of, you know, matinee shows. I mean, that, the Channel booked everything. I mean, literally everything. But they had a lot of, you know, punk and hardcore matinees. The Rat did matinees for a little while.
2: Um, were those compared, say, like to like Great Scott or something like that? Were they much bigger than that?
1: The Channel held about 1,500 people. Um, actually, I forgot that there were... Like I said they do the occasional hall show after that I mean Minor Threat played a VFW hall in Cambridge in early 83 and you know you get the occasional show at like you know like an Eagles hall or you know other places Community, you know but it was wasn't that common for a while the house and basement scene as far as I know really didn't get going until sometime in the 1990s early 90s mid 90s that's when you started to see more of an uptick in DIY
0: shows Mm. Why do you think that it was?
1: I think uh, probably a lot of these bands were having difficulty getting booked at the clubs, and or they just wanted to play an independent venue, and you know, wanted to play like an independent DIY type space. But in some cases, it's because they couldn't get booked in clubs. So luckily, like I said, there were there were a lot of DIY spaces that started to open up in the '90s. I didn't really go to that many then. I I didn't start doing that until. A little later on when i, I was kind of getting back to my uh getting back to my diy roots uh quote unquote and started going to more basement shows and alternative space shows but yeah there was there was kind of a lull for a while in the 80s and most of the activity did center around around different clubs at least at least for the punk and hardcore scene but there were but i like i said i didn't go to just those i used to go to a lot of uh different type of shows you know indie rock garage rock you know all different things i mean i saw i used to go see bands as far ranging as big black or um like i mentioned i mentioned the liars earlier i used to go see them occasionally i mean i'm you know i'm drawing a little bit of a blank but yeah and like i said I'm, i took a look at one of my old zines not too long ago and um from like the 80s it's like wow I used to go out a lot how did I keep up with that yeah. all the time and the other thing that the other thing though was during the 80s was I used to road trip uh to different you know cities in the area towns in the area to go see shows I used to go out to Western Mass a lot and Greenfield and uh, Northampton I used to go down to Providence for shows a lot I used to go to Newport Rhode Island for shows um all over the place when I you know, find out about them. And obviously, it was more word of mouth. You know, you didn't have the internet. So you'd get flyers and people would call you about shows, but managed to build up a nice little network of staying in touch with people. And that's how I found out about everything.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I, I saw the other day that uh, you posted on Facebook the uh, letter exchange you had with uh, Ian Mackay. Yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I got one that's... from Rollins, too. After I oh, saw wow. Black Flag, after I saw Black Flag for the first time, I decided to drop Henry a message, and uh, he wrote me back, you know, pretty quickly. I'd asked him about um about maybe getting a, getting a Black Flag pin, but he said they didn't have any, but he sent me a nice nice uh you know letter, and it's tucked inside my copy of Damaged.
0: Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, where you know I mean? uh, where uh, and uh, when do you see them, Black Flag?
1: December of 81, that was the first I, mean, I only got to see him with, with Rollins. I never saw them with any of the other lineups. Unfortunately, I, and I had the chance, too, because they played here before before Rollins joined. But I got to see him a bunch of times with him, but I didn't see them before late 81. But believe me, I'm not complaining about that.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. December 81, that must have been right when uh, Damage came out then.
1: Yeah, that was just about the exact time when it came out.
0: Yeah, yeah. 81,
1: 81 was a great year for shows I and mean, I've written about this how it was pretty much like a transitional year for a lot of things you know bands putting out groundbreaking albums me getting more into like you know more of the hardcore stuff but I mean during that year I saw I got to see bands like The Jam and Killing Joke and Black Flag and I even saw Judas Priest and Iron Maiden at the Orpheum you know a lot, lot of
2: variety of things I got to see that year. Sure, because there was no social media or you know more instant connections. Like writing f- letters to someone nowadays seems wild, but was that that wasn't like out of the ordinary in terms of fandom back then?
1: Um, I would say I got more into like you know pen pal thing and trading and all that after I you know got more into the hardcore thing and started reading Maximum Rock and Roll and started reading Flipside. There'd be uh, There'd be classified ads in the back of each, you know, each zine, and I, you know, write to people all over the world and, you know, built up contacts that way. Um, but in terms of finding out about stuff locally, you know, in those in those pre-internet dark ages, I mean, Boston, Boston had a, you know, pretty good alternative press. I mean, they had the Boston Phoenix, which had an excellent, you know, clubs listing. And you also relied a lot on college radio too. I'm, you know, the like WNBR, WERS, WZBC. I mean, they had they had shows that specialized in hardcore, but and punk, you know, but different things as well. And they'd have concert reports, and that's how I would find out about things. So, you know, radio, press, uh, you know, word of mouth. That's how that's how you kept in the loop with with things. It was definitely different. That's for sure
0: uh when did you start writing with uh maximum rock and roll
1: well i started doing my own zine in right. yeah. august of 82 it was originally called suburban punk i did it first 10 issues with suburban punk and after that i changed it to suburban voice now i i mean i i've been writing since i was a little kid and i i published little newsletters and I, I did some music reviews for my high school paper but i didn't do anything during college really Um, When I got out, that's when I first, like I said, I saw minor threat and I was really, you know, getting blown away by seeing, you know, these hardcore bands and get, you know, kind of connecting with with the DIY Boston scene. And I decided I needed to write about it. So I started writing uh, record reviews and live reviews and I typed them up uh, for uh, four pages, no pictures, no graphics, no nothing. And I left the space for the first page because I hadn't decided what I was going to call it yet, so I'm thinking, well, I live in the suburbs, I like punk, I'll call it suburban punk, I mean, not exactly the most original thing in the world, but that's how that got started. Uh, in terms of MRNR, I mean, I've pretty much read it since day one, and um, shortly after that, um, a band called Siege asked me to write write an intro for a article or an interview that was appearing at MRNR so I did that for them and that's how I connected with them and I sent them my zine for review and then I started doing the Boston scene report um, did that for quite a while and you know different articles as well and got to know those people I, I stayed at maximum rock and roll house a few times um, so you know that's how I got to know them and in, in what's, a scene what's it, the scene report what's the scene report Oh, sure. God, that's how I find, you see, oh, yeah, oh, that's, well, I mean, MRNR was, a you know, say what you will about it. Some people had real problems with it because of their political agenda or whatever, but they had people writing in from all over the country and overseas telling, talking about what's going on in their local scenes, you know, writing about bands and records and, and fanzines and all that. And they had people from different, like I said, you know, correspondents from all over the. All over the u.s and then you know overseas and that's how i found out about a lot of you know bands outside of my area and mm. you know i what i would do sometimes if something interested me or you know a band caught my eye or whatever i'd you know send them off a zine saying hey could you send me a copy of your record and trade and people are really amenable to doing that and like i said you know i was able to build up a really good network of pen pals and people from overseas i started trading you know records and zines with people from finland and italy and sweden And And that's how i built up my cult that's how i built up my collection of you know of uh foreign hardcore stuff Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean it was it was a community and you know you had to put some put some effort into it to uh connect with people it's like you guys have it so good now and believe me I, i love the internet i love the instant availability of information and being able to find out about bands but i'll tell you when i was when i was younger and i was working at a bank at a job i really hated there wasn't anything better than coming home at the end of the day and finding a bunch of packages by my mailbox for me to check out you know kind of kept me going there but that's really awesome yeah
0: as opposed to like now someone can just be on their phone or something at work and keep up with you know correspond with others or read stuff or it's more whatever. casual <laughs> yeah i guess
1: it does make life easier you know i do my radio show and i i do play a lot of vinyl and cds but i also play mp3s and i'm always you know trying to find bands through various websites or Bandcamp or you know youtube things like that and that's how i you know find out about a lot of Lot of different things. Sometimes people, you know, I look at other people's Facebook pages and they'll post bands that I want to check out. So I'm always looking for something different. But back then, like I said, Boston had really good college radio and I would uh, set up my tape recorder when I, you know, when I heard a song I liked, I'd start taping it. And I still have all of those mixtapes too. But yeah, I mean, Perfect. it's different. Like I said, I like, you know, I like the instant gratification aspect of it, the avail- easy availability information is great but i kind of miss the old i kind of miss doing it the old way too
2: so you could record a mixtape off of the radio
1: what i would do is you know, listen to different shows and i would have i'd have my tape tape deck all set up and um you know usually a you know punk or hardcore show i'd want to tape all of the all of the songs so you know i'd start taping and if i you know got a few you know got into the song a little bit and i didn't like it i'd stop recording back it up to where I had it. And then you know the next song comes on, I start recording that. So I guess, you know, kind of DIY mix tapes and, and I couldn't afford to buy like every record that came out. So I was relying on my tapes a lot to get my music. I mean, they had like they had some great shows here. I mean, there was a show on WERS called Metrowave where they would have bands play live in the studio. And so I got the tape off the radio. I got the tape of Jerry's kids set off the radio and you know, other different bands, but
0: yeah, so. that's a good point too that because um, I am always curious as well. Yeah, like how, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong when you say that, you know, the you guys have it like good or, or whatever where I do think often I mean, I still buy plenty of records and everything, but it's like, mm-hmm. I of course listen to stuff <laughs> Online and it just yeah I mean I, I think like I I wouldn't be able to buy every record I I yeah. want I just wouldn't be able to afford it It's definitely uh it's definitely a blessing today that just to have that sort of just to to have a, a, a more options and accessibility
1: I mean I was spoiled yeah. back then I you know I I were also worked in record stores for about twelve oh, years yeah. I mean
0: right I man-
1: I managed a record store in it's called Rocket on Route One. And I, I, owned my own record store for a short time in Danvers, which is a very long story, but, uh, then I, it was called sound waves that lasted about a year and then I ended up going to work at in your ear in Boston for a few years. So, you know, I, I had great, you know, great access to, you know, all the used stuff that came in. Plus record labels would send lots of lots of freebies to the, to the store. Plus I was getting a lot of free records through, you know, my writing so it it was definitely spoiled back then i mean i still get free records sent to me for review or airplay occasionally but mainly i'm relying on digging stuff tracking stuff down myself and finding things myself but i mean everything kind of tied together um it became a you know music became a central part of my life um after i graduated from college my first job was uh a re- it was a management trainee for a retail chain called zare which i'm sure went out of business long before you guys were around i don't, I don't know how old you guys are but
0: uh, uh 30
1: okay so yeah so that you zare was out of business by the time you were born but i worked there and that was that tied into about the time i was you know really starting to get into the hardcore thing and going to shows and all that so i left that job after like four or five months um and uh then um a few months after that i got a job in a bank <laughs> i worked there for two years and pretty much you know all, all this music stuff kept me going doing the zine going the shows i i started uh i started a band called no system which was actually my second band my first band was in late 82 and it was called isolated youth uh the isolated thing was a one-off recording project I did in the early 90s that was basically uh I guess kind of a tribute to isolated youth but uh, i was in that band we played one show then i got the job at the bank so it's like i'm not really gonna have time to do this now but then i started you no know, system in 84 did that till 86 and did shattered silence uh, like 87 uh, 89 and we did a couple of reunions and then we played a bunch of shows about oh, six years ago now and we've talked about doing another reunion but i mean you know all of my projects tied together the writing going to shows you know doing my own photography later on i pretty much started doing my all, all of my own photography for the zine in the mid 90s but i had some great photographers contributing stuff i i saw you interviewed jj gonson
0: and oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah we just she, had her on
1: she's a great photographer she um, used to contribute a lot of really good stuff to my zine I don't know if you talk about her photography career, but she's really good at it.
0: Yeah, we didn't get as much into photography with her in in that um, episode, but I, I have looked at a, a lot of her photographs and just stuff over, over the years. It, it is amazing, and she's been able to capture a lot of great uh, bands live.
1: Yeah. The thing i liked i saw one of her photo exhibits a few years ago and one of the things i liked was it wasn't just the bands it was like a lot of photo shots and reaction shots and right it kind of gave it, it kind of gave you a feel of uh that it wasn't just the bands it was uh, more of a communal experience i guess that so was definitely applicable to the punk and hardcore sam
2: how do you explain yeah, that she to had normal a- people <laughs> not normal people but like say if your fellow people at, at the bank or people that are wondering what the hell is this guy doing uh, you, I'm sure you've met a lot of people like that over the years that might not get it do you have yeah. any succinct way that you kind of explain your passion for such a not really well, mainstream I mean, thing
0: will,
1: yeah I mean if, if people are willing to listen to it I mean when I worked at the bank I, you know I'd, I'd bring MR&R and I'd, I'd be sitting in the uh sitting in the lunchroom reading <laughs> a magazine and wondering if any of the bank officers uh you know saw what i was reading there but generally i got along with my coworkers fine and they they kind of got work they kind of got it you know i was a big music fan you know the music i was into was kind of weird but they didn't, i didn't really feel like i got looked down on or anything but it, it, it's yeah it's hard to explain sometimes to people who aren't part of our thing why you so passionate about it or because it, to them it's probably more like a casual thing or um they see like you know all these crazy people dressing funny and, and listening to this loud obnoxious music and they're going what's wrong with these people but, <laughs> like you know most of my i, I don't have a co- of uh, i don't have a lot of people who are quote-unquote normie friends although some of the people i knew from the hardcore and punk scene back then have lived gone on and you know maybe moved away from it a little bit but friendships you know ran deeper with them anyway yeah, I've I've never really been able to relate too much to, uh, I guess, a normal conventional life. I mean, I suppose I I live my life in a somewhat conventional way because I have a house. I live in the suburbs. I've been married to the same woman for over 30 years um, who I'm going to mention her because I always do her her name's Ellen. She's a social worker and she's 100% supportive of everything I've ever done. So I appreciate that. And also my mother-in-law, gets the punk thing as well which which is very good too so he's never tried neither of them have ever tried to dissuade me from you know following doing what i love very lucky there
0: yeah that that's awesome yeah and it it really is a it's a inspiration uh for for us and hopefully uh listeners because I, I do think that it's one of those things where i feel like you know if, if for all of us that are passionate about this sort of thing it's not just something that you know you it's it's, it's like a you know a part of all of us so like a significant other would have to would have to get it on some level
1: i mean she's never even heard punk when we first started going out i started going out i met her like the week before the clash played their first area show at the harvard square theater you know i told her i was into stuff like that and she she said, Oh yeah, I was like wondering who the clash were. I've never I saw their playing there. I've never heard of them. But you know, she she still doesn't like the really, you know, crazy, you know, really fast raw hardcore stuff. But I mean, she likes the she likes listening to the older bands like The Clash and SLF and the Jam and uh because she's Buzzcocks, because she says, you know, reminds her of when we were first going out and we used to go see those bands. And mm. she used to go to a lot of shows with me back then. She doesn't too much these days i'm, I'm not going to take it to a place like the last house yeah. um, but i mean she, she goes with me to the occasional you know club show or bigger venue show when we go to those but like i said yeah she's always you know she's very supportive and she gets it and she likes to say that she's punk by marriage yeah. and she she loves we've had bands stay with us and she really likes you know meeting bands from around the world who have stayed and she's gotten to know people that way so you know it's cool it's cool know, it's great yeah so what
0: else (laughs) yeah that's that's awesome um i was gonna ask a little bit going back to what you were talking about with like the record stores and um you know when you're working at the reg stores and and hearing about music back then through through uh working at the reg store or the radio shows do you feel like like the curation was was uh you know, either dif- different or, or even better back then than it is today because there is so much, um, ex- like saturation of music, there is so much music out there that people have available to them.
1: Well, like I said, it was different, you know,
0: it- certainly. Yeah,
1: people would hear stuff on the radio and they'd come in and you know, Haiti, hey, I have this, but uh, this first store I worked at, which was Rocket uh, R O C K I T. I mean, I was a customer there. started going there in 81 i found out about that show from a radio show that was on a an am station believe it or not from lynn called wlyn which which later became wfnx and this guy named rich anzalone started playing you know like you know punk and alternative and whatever and uh he had commercials for this store called rocket so i went out there and they have a really this is in Saugus and they had a really great selection of, you know, punk, but they they specialized a lot in, in metal too. So, you know, I became a regular customer there and they asked me to go to work there a few times. And finally, after I left the bank, I, I took a job there. And after like a year or two, the, the guy who managed the store left. So I kind of got bumped up to that. And so I was in charge of like ordering and stuff like that. But it, it was, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, we did pretty well record stores did well then um but and we also uh when i was working there from 85 to 93 cds were really starting to come into vogue i guess if that's the right term so you know Mm. people want to buy cds or you know replace their records
2: did you know that the internet and streaming was was going to be coming and you know a decade or two like did you have any idea that that was the future at the time in the 80s or whatever
1: I had, I had no clue it I was unfathomable I didn't even think about it I I'd never even something I never would have even fathomed at that point I first became aware of the internet in like the mid-90s when I went to work at In Your Ear they had a computer out back connected to the internet it was like a really really painfully slow dial-up connection but that's when I first started you know, going online a bit. The mid to late 90s, that's when I first started connecting with people on message boards and started downloading music a little bit. So, but yeah, I mean, I, so I was kind of in there, I guess, you know, when I was breaking through a bit, you know, like 97-ish, I guess that's when I first started really getting more involved being online. And I, like I said, I just couldn't imagine what we have now back in the 80s, you know. Not even a clue. Not even. Wow, that's no incredible. Idea, no idea. Well, it's it's funny though because you know I had to explain to you what a scene report was, and I explained to you like how <laughs> I used to used to uh, make my tapes and stuff instead of doing like a, like a mix on Spotify or whatever, or making like an iTunes mix or something. Um,
2: yeah, it's you know, it's really wild.
1: It, of it. You know You know what's funny is though, I the sequences on those mix tapes I've made iTunes playlists um, of those of the songs I had on the mixtapes. And on my radio show, sometimes I'll play sequences that are from those mixtapes as well. Yeah, I wanna talk about my radio show a little bit. Oh um,
0: yeah, 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 absolutely. I'd love to, I was yeah. actually gonna ask you about that. Um, how, I was actually gonna ask you uh, how you select the songs, but if you wanna give some background.
1: Ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to be a DJ. I mean, when I was a teenager, this is embarrassing. I used to record fake top tens, you know, like 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 American Top 40 would do, you know, Casey Case. And I'm not sure he remembered, if you remember those, remember that guy. But oh, I yeah. you know, I'd do fake countdowns. And uh, once in a while, you know, I'd go on one of the college stations, you know, go in, you know, play a few records. But I didn't really start doing any extensive radio till the late 90s. Um, I knew a couple of guys who went to at High School up in Bach. Box- Boxford Oxford, Topsfield, I forget, but they had a, they had a weekly radio show and invited me down to be a guest DJ one time and it went really well. So I ended up like co-hosting with them for the rest of the year until I graduated from, from high school. So some months after that, you know, I still wanted to do radio and I ran into a guy who told me that there was a community station starting at Alston called Alston Brighton Free Radio. So I contacted the guy who started the station and asked if I could, you know, do a show there. And he, he let me, it was a, a low power AM station. It, it was legal, but it only reached like a few blocks and eventually they, they juiced the transmitter. Um, so it was essentially a pirate station, but my show was originally called Inflammable Material. And since I have difficulty pronouncing that word, I changed the name to Sonic Overload, which is a little bit easier to pronounce. <laughs> so did the show there for five years. The station closed, and then I bought some DJ gear, and I've been doing it from my house ever since. So yeah, I mean, it's something. I mean, I still do writing. I, I, my last print issue was in two thousand and three. I still do it as a blog, but I mean, the radio show has become pretty much my my main project. I. Guess. I guess
0: you could say oh yeah i guess i i love the radio show i listen to it every week and it really has been a great resource for me for um all different kind of bands that just like past and present um yeah yeah it's it, it really is a lot of variety kind of like going back to what we said at the beginning where um anyone like listening you you know on, on al's show you you can really hear um you know you might hear like unnatural acts and then you might hear like you know, the latest from uh, Dame or like uh, Sweeping Promises or something just, all, you know, these bands that are from, you know, just today, you know, they could be putting out a record this week or you, you, you even you've thrown in some like 60s and like late 60s garage stuff or some, um, you know, 70s stuff and, yeah. and all different genres uh, or no, I shouldn't say all different genres, but within like the sort of like no. you say, the funk garage, hardcore stuff, a lot of ver- yeah, a well, different stuff.
1: I mean, I've been listening to music since the '60s when I was a little kid. Yeah, <laughs> I started getting records when I was like four or five years old, and I mean, it was mostly, mostly like you know, Beatles, Rolling Stones. I guess a lot of the stuff you would consider classic rock these days, but yeah, would hear the occasional you know, like garage or you know, psych song, or whatever. And you know, I grew up in the '70s, mostly listening to hard rock and metal, but I liked, you know, liked a little bit of everything, and then I discovered punk you know, in 77 through, uh, once again, you know, it was more organic. I had a, I had a classmate in high school named Paul Greenberg. And when he was a senior in high school, he was already doing a show on the Salem state station. And so I first started hearing punk through him. I, you know, he was first time I heard the sex pistols was on his show. So, and then he told me about the station in Boston, which uh, in Cambridge, which at the time was WTBS and later became WMBR. And you know, that's, you know, like I said, I've, you know, that's how I discovered a lot of that stuff. I mean, I grew up in the 70s, you know, listening to bands like the Aerosmith and Blue Oyster Cult and, and Sweet and, um, you know, Foghat, you know, lots of, lots of different bands. And I guess what appealed to me about punk the first time I heard it was just, you know, basically stripped down energetic rock and roll music. You know, I've always, you know, guitar oriented music has always appealed to me. No matter the style, I suppose.
2: What doesn't appeal to you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, classical music, um, opera, um, uh, hip. Uh, not I like hip hop. Uh, like I guess a lot of dance music, like disco and uh, electronic dance music, stuff like that. I'm not really into. I'm, I'm not really into any of the any of the more mainstream hip hop or R and B stuff these days. I mean. I'm totally, I'm I'm blissfully out of touch with, you know, most mainstream music, you know, I'm aware of who some of these artists are, but I pretty much ignore their, their music and kind of, you know, kind of do my own thing and stick to what I like. There's enough good stuff out there that I don't need to pay attention to that, but pretty much like any mainstream, as we used to call it top 40 stuff, or, you know, basically anything, anything mainstream these days, but. Like I said, I'm fairly open-minded, runs the gamma from punk to hardcore, like a lot of post-punk, LA, like a lot of, you know, more goth punk type stuff, um, you know, different things, but yeah, I, I never, really, I never really get into classical and oh, I don't like, I don't like the newer country music either.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I like, yeah. I like Hank Williams, I like uh, Johnny Cash, things like that, but all this bro country stuff now. What do you think amazing. about noise? uh if it has a little bit of structure to it i suppose i i kind of you know i mean i like when i think of noise, i think of a band like suicide who are you know noisy but still have mm. discernible songs to them or like you know jesus and mary chain there's a band that you know use noise but underneath it was just you know classic pop music but in terms of like completely unstructured noise no, i'm not really into that
2: yeah now it's interesting yeah. there is it, there seems to be in some circles sort of that that's kind of itching its way in in with the punk stuff I don't know so much if you've noticed that
1: I mean there's definitely a lot of you know bands that have like you know really blown out you know heavily distorted uh you know noisy sound and I tend to I tend to pref- you know those bands is fun to see live but in terms of listening to it I, I tend to prefer songs I tend to for for, for music prefer music that has a little bit more of a song structure to it I suppose it doesn't have to be accessible or anything but be a little bit more discernible that's why I'm not mm-hmm. running the grind that much because it's you know where are the songs basically
0: right uh go back to the the show the sonic overload show how do you like and you had mentioned with uh with like the using some of the songs from the mixtapes uh how do you generally go about selecting like the songs for each week
1: well it's an all-day process all, yeah pretty much an all-day process where I pull music and sequence it and all that I, I have everything sequenced and then I and then I start recording the show and occasionally I'll change things on the fly but generally I, I have the playlist set to go beforehand in terms of picking it I'm always you know I'm always uh you know writing stuff down during the week as I think about it um I'll I have a I have a searchable database of all my playlists where i you know go back and see you know how recently i played you know this band or you know well it's been a while since i played them so it's just a combination of things and i I try to have you know different sets where like one will be like an old school hardcore set something might be you know more new wave or post punk sometimes i'll you know go back and do a you know late 70s punk set or an early 80s hardcore set but you know, once in a while, I'll go back and play something from the 70s, you know, like I'll play like some, you know, hard rock or metal stuff, just, you know, whatever, I try to, you know, have different sets that have different feels to them, you know, different. Have you played at whatever. shows,
2: like as the DJ? I've
1: done a few, I've done some quote unquote public DJing, but I don't really like it. So I'd rather just, you know, I'd rather just, you know, stay in my house and kind of to do that, but I haven't really done much DJing in clubs or anything. Did a little bit, but I I just wasn't really into it.
0: Yeah, that is it that makes sense. I mean that's fair. It's like
1: uh like doing my own thing. (laughs) Yeah, definitely my own thing. No interference, you know, no one bothering me or whatever. I just I prefer to do that, do it that way. Actually when I you know when I it's funny I'm a DJ, but when I go see bands play, uh diy shows i don't really like it when they play music between sets number one because it's usually so loud you can't you can't really carry on a <laughs> conversation with, with someone but i'm there to see the bands if i want to listen to records i'll listen to them at home and, and, and maybe some people think that's lame or whatever i know it is like you know dj culture and all that and sometimes people will go specifically to see djs perform but i'm not into it i'm there to see the bands between bands i want to i'd rather or socialize or talk to people have conversations and it's kind of hard so, to do that when you got something
2: blasting like that so maybe they could play the top 40 music in between bands that might be the new yeah. thing
1: <laughs> there we go i don't know I, I like i said i i treat going to shows as a you know as much of a social event uh, you know going to hang out with people and interact with people, I mean, the bands, you know, seeing the bands are important, that, that's the attraction, but also the attraction is seeing familiar faces and getting to hang out and, and talk to them. And that's something I've really missed the last year or so, a year or so, is not being able to, to go out. I mean, even, even the handful of people that annoy me, I mean, I, I, I'm <laughs> looking forward to seeing them again. There right. Aren't there aren't that many, but I generally get along with everyone.
0: So, with being interested in these different kinds of punk, like like hardcore, or say garage punk, or what you know, all the stuff we've mentioned, do you see familiar faces at these different kinds of shows, or is it more like there's some people go more to this uh, like style, or and then some people go to this other stuff, or is there overlap?
1: Sometimes, although it's funny when I go see older bands, you know, I, I'll see people in my age range, but. Not a lot of, and you know, when I go to see older bands, sometimes you know you get younger people there. But I'll see people there who I've known since the '80s or '90s. And one thing I really enjoy doing is introducing people I know, you know, I've just met in recent years to so some of the old timers. I really kind of you know like like having people meet each other from different generations. But yeah. I, I mean, most of the shows I go to tend to have the same people. Once in a while, I'll I'll, I'll go maybe like more of an indie rock or garage rock show and I won't know as many people there. So that, um, yeah, I mean, generally, yeah, I mean, like I said, like I said before, it's pretty segmented, you know, one group of people will go to these shows, one group of people will go to those. And, you know, I, I think I knew more people, I, I think, you know, back then, so I can get out of my thoughts here. Um, I mean, back in the eighties, you know, you'd see, You'd see people going to you know different types of bands. They'd all kind of fall under the, you know, the same you know kind of like you know punk, indie, whatever you know. And people will go see different types of bands. So so I'd, I'd see them at different shows. But these days, yeah, it doesn't seem to be a whole lot of crossover between most of the shows I go to with other scenes. I guess I see I see the same faces that you know I'll we'll, we'll go to like you know the Boiler Room or I'll go to the Banshee Den now or democracy center I'll tend to see you know the same people
2: do you ever bump into what?
1: mr I, b mr b i see him on a lot of shows i've known mr b since the 80s and i see him and his wife chris all yep. the time at those shows and they they go to a little bit of everything uh you they mentioned the, you mentioned and they turned me on the different bands you mentioned the nice guys a little while ago mr b told me about them that's how i found out about them
0: oh that's so awesome yeah because we see them all the time at shows and yeah they, they're probably uh between uh the, the so glenn and i and and uh chris and michael i think are we're probably the top nice guys fans in boston so it's like i think uh we've all seen them like over a hundred times and it's just kind of oh, yeah. funny that, yeah and but they're they, if anyone's uh bigger fans of that band it's definitely chris and michael
1: yeah they've uh They've told me about, you know, some cool bands to check out and I've taken their advice and I've found, you know, like I said, I'm always asking people, you know, who should I check out and all that. And, I mean, they're yeah. even, I mean, I'm ancient and they're even older than yeah. I am. They're about seven or eight years older than me. So, I mean, they're, and they're still totally into it. And uh, it's nice not to be the oldest person at a show, yeah. you know, definitely feeling a little bit more of a generation gap, I suppose, in recent years. And you're starting to see people sticking around into their 30s and 40s going to diy shows but
0: something. Hmm. you know do you know brushback
1: i've known dave since the 80s yep Wow. i know, yeah. I know dave yep yep i met him i met him like in the mid to late 80s when he did his fanzine called run it yeah um he put out the first he put out youth of today's first release on a seven inch that came with his zine but yeah we lost touch for a while but we connect we've connected reconnected in the last 10 years when we moved to the area he you know he's from mm-hmm. Connecticut originally but yeah D- Dave I like Dave he's he's very caustic very opinionated but I think he's mellowed a little bit in recent years Dave's a good guy and he knows his shit which is which is he really knows his stuff and he's he's not that much younger than me he's maybe six or seven years younger than me but you see him all the time he still gets out and he writes about it, he does photography. I mean, he's really, you know, he's really into it. Yeah, Still, you really, you older
2: heads are pretty passionate.
1: Well, it keeps us out of trouble, I suppose, for the most part. I mean, I sometimes maybe I feel a little bit um I don't know, what's the term? I, I I'm starting maybe to feel a little bit where I wonder like how people might perceive me. Like who's who's this creepy old is this guy like a creeper? Is he here to you know try to scam on younger girls or whatever and you know so i just um but i'm just there to see the bands if anyone has a problem with tough shit but most people most people have been very accepting and very friendly and, i mean i still I still enjoy going to those shows and you know i know many many generations of people through the year you know i'm thinking now like some of the people i've seen you know there are people that it's like wow i've known them for like 15 20 years now and it doesn't seem that long and people are sticking around for the, lo- for the long haul i just wonder sometimes if people know you know know about my zine or ever saw my zine because i realized that the last issue came out 18 years ago and you know yeah. these kids were probably not born or were probably in grade school you need business it cards. Was funny, I, got it. I used to have business cards i don't have them anymore now i just give them my website right you know or don't don't even hand them out just drop them on the floor it's better there you go. But, but but that's littering somebody will have to clean up you know respect sure. the space i mean come on you know it, it's funny though i got a reality check uh, went to a show a couple of years ago and um the, the band the band covered um covered a band what were they called uh mock Moc execution i think was the name of the band and they covered a band called 86 mentality who around in the mid 2000s and after they played after they played i went up and said wow awesome you covered that song did you ever get to see them they said no it was a little before our time and they broke up in 2008 i'm going before your time it's like yeah i mean if these guys were you know let's say 23 years old that means in that means in 2008 they were probably like 12 or whatever so yeah i guess it's like i said sometimes i just lose track of it or don't realize how long it's been
0: right yeah yeah definitely I I think um, I'm already starting to do that as well to sort of lose track of stuff I mean it just it just becomes just too many bands too too much year years as you start to forget just like what I don't know what the time frames are but uh, I don't it's weird maybe and maybe this is more because like, like the garage punk stuff we go to but i feel like we don't see as many like younger kids are there more like kids in high school and like teenage fans in the hardcore scene
1: i guess um yeah probably skews younger like i said i wish i listened when things get going again and there are like garage punk shows and things like that you know let me know about them because oh absolutely,
0: all, absolutely. would lo- absolutely yeah. love absolutely
1: love like you mentioned- and
0: likewise yeah It's like
1: Um, you mentioned that.
0: that, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh, I was gonna say, and likewise, um, I'm not as um well acquainted with like hardcore stuff, and yeah, I I, I kind of um, so I mean, I kind of have always, even from your show, where it's like mixed stuff where there, I'll hear a band and I'm not as big into it, but then I hear like something like like, uh, Vanilla Poppers, and I'm like, oh, this band is sick, you know. See, that's
1: the kind Um, of stuff I like. I mean, I like, yeah, you know. I wish I could see more bands like that. You know, like a lot of the Australian bands, like Vanilla Pop. Vanilla Pop is a U.S.-based band, but the singer lives in Australia now. But right, right, right. I mean, bands like Ubik or uh, um, Cold Meat. You know, I, I'd love to see them come over here. They're doing, you know, like a little bit more of like garagey type stuff. I and mean, that's, I love that stuff. I mean, you listen to my radio show, you probably you probably hear more of that kind of stuff than the straight hardcore because I, I can't just play like. You know, sure. two hours of straight heart, but I usually mm-hmm. just play like maybe one or two sets of it. You know, it's funny you mentioned "Sweeping Promises" earlier. I had never heard of them. I, I found out because their their label sent me the record to review, and I'm looking. Uh, at, you know, I'm reading up on them. It's like they're from Boston. I never even knew this band
0: existed. Well, it's interesting with them because we've actually been friends with them and the, for a number of years now, where they've we've seen their other bands that they've had, um, and they only play like one show. Um, pre-pandemic and I mean actually I should just say just one show in general and then they recorded this album and it came out during the pandemic but um, they've only so they haven't really been around uh, mm-hmm. as, as a band the members themselves have been in other bands um, like Spankled Silk Foods uh, band. Blah Blah Splitting Image but uh, so yeah but uh, Sweeping as a band uh, yeah you yeah you wouldn't have seen them I guess because mm-hmm. um, they only played once yeah,
1: I mean see, like sometimes like I said, I'm a little bit out of the loop with stuff. So I mean I don't college radio as much as I used to because now, you know, everyone has, you know, I got all this music on my phone or I'm listening to records or whatever. So I don't I don't listen to college radio as much as I did like back in the eighties, you know. And I'm sure some of those bands get played on the college show. So I'm not really as but I'm not really as familiar with them. So right like i said i'm always looking for different stuff and i find out about it in different ways and that's how i found out about it from them the record labels they're on feel it records i think and yeah they send me all their stuff and some of it i like some of it i don't like but the, the cool thing with that label is they're very eclectic in what they put out
0: yeah yeah definitely um oh what was that band uh i really liked the, <laughs> i can't i can't think of the name but there was something that you play a lot from feel it but i'm like I can't think of it. It's like the graphics on the album kind of looked like a, like 90s video game or something.
1: Oh, and freak Jeans, freak I think.
0: Yeah, that was it. That's it. I really like that album. Yeah. But I heard about them from, uh, from Sonic Overload. And.
1: Wow. Cool.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's a bunch of stuff I could go on. I mean, the, there's so many bands I've discovered
2: from Sonic Overload. You're more uh, influential than yeah. Breakfast of Champions. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, but
1: yeah, uh, I mean, late risers club still going strong and I I mean, Joni Lindstrom who DJs on there. I mean, she's been DJing since the, since the late eighties. I mean, she's you know, so there's still some, I I listen to her show once in a, once in a while, but yeah, yeah, I I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it's real. That's one of the reasons, you know, since the beginning, you know, tell people about bands, that i'm into try to expose people to you know different bands different music all of my projects have have, uh emphasized that um and i really love it when people say oh i never would have heard of that band except you know i checked them out because your radio show or something you wrote about them and wow Mm -hmm. i love this band out thank you and you know so cool i also love you know fans will say you know thanks for supporting us thanks for playing us on your radio show and you know that's really, really nice as well
0: yeah, definitely. Um yeah, it was a, like yeah, there's there's so many. Um one I re- really really like that I hope uh comes through to the US is band on uh, maze from from uh, yeah, Japan.
1: That's a I mean that's a band I just stumbled across on Bandcamp one day, I think. And yeah, since I heard that first demo I've been a fan. And I, I was a little disappointed with the 12 inch. I thought it was a little too cutesy sounding, but everything else they've done has been really good. And yeah, yeah, they were in the U. They played the U.S. Uh, oh. The fest, I think.
0: yeah. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Where was that?
1: I'm not sure. I remember. I think they played played some fest a few years ago. They did make it to the states for a show. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I love I love seeing bands
2: from overseas. How desperate are and you that to was see only, bands again?
1: It's definitely something I miss. Um, I mean, I've. I'm looking forward to it. I'm ready. To, I'm ready to go back to shows. I'm willing, and I'm, but I'm willing to wait until it's safe again. Truth be told, I'd like to be able to go to a show where I don't have to wear a mask, but I'll do it if it's necessary.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: You know, it, it'll happen. It'll happen in the coming months once more. Once more, people get vaccinated and use common sense. And the good thing is, the people I know that book shows do have enough common sense not to do anything before it's safe. Same with the bands I'm friendly with. They know. They're, they're not going to do anything before it's safe. So we're all in the same boat pretty much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Is, we, we always ask everyone, uh, when, when do you think shows will return? Um,
1: yeah. I think realistically late summer, early fall. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it'll be full capacity. I'm not sure if people would be, uh, Uncomfortable doing quote unquote illegal shows, i.e., in basement spaces, things like that. Um, Because that could very easily turn into a disaster and get down very, very quickly. But I think things will gradually reopen.
2: Yeah, I think so. It's not not Uh, too far away, it seems.
1: I hope so. I think (laughs) my last show was almost 14, 13 months now. And the last band I saw was Pandemics.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, it's wild. And they've been yeah. around for a while, right?
1: Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to Tommy, their bass player a while back, and he thought they were thinking of changing the name. I said, don't keep the name. It's cool. You know, you should keep yeah. it. It's punk. It's a punk name. Keep it.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. The last did um, you ever hear of Adam Green? He was the last person we saw.
1: Uh no. I haven't actually
2: yeah he was so in, the, you haven't heard them all yeah
1: yeah yeah you yeah. stumped me he's in the moldy no what, what, maybe i've heard what band was he in
2: he's in the
0: moldy peaches
1: okay them i've heard of yeah
0: yeah um yeah that was the last one we yeah, saw
1: heard of them yeah
0: um yeah uh i was gonna say D- definitely, when shows come back, uh, I'll definitely we'll definitely let you know of anything that we're going to. And likewise, you know, please yeah, do the same. Please. Yeah, um, that's how
1: I find out about stuff. People, you know, yeah. people get in touch with me. You know, it's and it's a lot easier to do with the internet. That's for sure.
2: Right. Yeah. See, what's great about you, l is you've you've survived all these years. We're just what we are we, we're failed music bloggers. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we did. We uh, haven't kept up as much, but we still did start a blog in two thousand nine. But uh, we still technically it's still around, because occasionally Glenn writes stuff, but I don't. Yeah, uh, we moved into the podcast world, and we yeah. also we, 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 yeah we throw our shows as well. But
1: uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm working on a new blog. I'm reviewing books. We have a pile of books here that i mean Oh really. Um, so I've got that done, but I, I the other thing is last year, I hit a nasty bit of writer's block. So I'm having a hard time, like, you know, writing record reviews and all that. So I didn't, I wasn't really product that productive last year with, with the, uh, blog. They also retired from maximum rock and roll last year after 35 years. Wow. Hard um, they throw you a party. There's a lot of reasons, there's, there's, oops, there's a lot of reasons but the main the main reason probably was because the print issue ended in 2019 and I did a few online columns for them, but it just wasn't the same, not having, not having the, uh, having my writing in a, I guess, a tangible format or a physical format, it wasn't the same anymore. So it was time to move on. Um, and I don't, I don't completely, I still hold out hope that I am going to do another print issue and people have asked me when are you going to do a book with all this stuff right yeah, yeah. that's something I want to do one of these days as well I, I tend to procrastinate a real lot so but we'll see if I can get my ass in gear and all that I'll I'll try to do do something do a book as well but we'll see I'm just trying to get a regular online blog done now I, I'm mm-hmm. not yeah you know, no, that'd be that's so a cool great thing about having a, that's a great thing about having the radio show is it does make me produce
2: something every week so because mm. yeah is there, is there uh, way we can read your your printed stuff online that's right. yeah
1: um well i i haven't posted any of my old i, I know that some there are some i know that some of my old print issues have shown up in different places i know that there was a there's a site called archive.org that might have some of my old issues up there but i mean if you if you google suburban voice i'd imagine you can probably find some places where for some of the issues are I, I don't have any of my old issues uploaded myself but i mean i i my blog goes back to 2005 maybe so all of and the first the first 20 of those were on myspace i had a blog ah. i did this voice blog on myspace and then i switched to the blog, the blogger site and i've uh, been doing it on there ever since but like i said i, I really update that one as much as i should either you know i'm getting older and sometimes it's hard to motivate myself and sometimes it's tough to review records because i've been reviewing records 40 years and you know it's kind of tough uh coming up with new and creative uh, ways to write record reviews i suppose
0: yeah
1: but i haven't haven't given up yet
0: absolutely Yeah. don't give Um, up yeah uh yeah no i I, um i was gonna say is there any way for people to find or anywhere someone could find like the physical scenes Uh,
1: i know people sell them on ebay okay
0: all right so ebay potentially
1: yeah i mean i don't have i sold off a lot of my i only have one car each of most of my issues a few i have duplicates of I, i sold off some of the duplicates uh A couple of years ago uh, somebody bought my second issue of suburban punk uh in fact he paid me a pretty good amount of money for it i think i I was gonna say what's the value i don't know i mean i've seen my i've seen some earlier issues of my zine go for anywhere from 25 to 50 bucks i mean there's definitely a demand for older zines i i went through and sold a bunch of you know like late 80s new york hardcore straight edge zines and people paid me a lot
2: for them so do yeah, people, people ever do people repressings them? of them? Could you like repress it?
1: Um, I back then I used to I used to have a tough enough time getting rid of all of them. I thought I generally did sell out of them for a long time, but I've still like got tons of copies of my last issue, number forty six. I still got plenty of those sitting in the sitting in a tub in my uh, my utility closet. But now I never did represses. I just you know printed the issue and then just moved on to the next one and. Um, I mean, my print run when I first started was like 90 copies and I gradually built, I think the largest number I ever printed was about 3,500 and that was maybe early to mid '90s. But my last print issue I think was like 2,000 maybe. Did you you distribute those yourself? I mean, I had a company print them for me. I had distributors. I used to sell them directly to stores, but I also had, you know, large distributors who used to, you know, wholesale them for me and, and sell them to stores all over the place. And sometimes they even got paid for it. <laughs> that was another thing. It, there was a lot of trust built in, you know, I'd sell them to smaller distros and, you know, some took care of me, some kind of never paid me, but I could, you know, I did my I did my own mail order. And, you know, locally, I'd take them around to Newberry Comics and a few other stores. I mean, I remember when Newbury just was one store on Newberry street. And when it was just one store. Then they opened the second store in Harvard square and, you know, bring my zines, you know, up there when they expanded more, bring them to the warehouse. So, but yeah, I mean, different, different ways to distribute
2: it. So have you thought about doing you know, that one now?
1: Man, See, that's the thing. I, it's it's like too other much of a bands? Daunt, too daunt. I'm sorry, what?
2: Yeah, no, sorry. I, I, that, that goes without saying. I, I think I was just thinking since since you're such a name and you kind of, that's kind of what you specialize in, you could distribute, you know, have your own thing. That probably seems like a lot of work though.
1: It's, I mean, like I look at the last few issues I did and there were over 150 pages and there's just no way I could ever do anything on that level again. I think if I do another issue, it's gonna be a much smaller page count and much, much smaller uh, pressing or whatever, because I'm sure printing costs to gotten very expensive. I know shipping costs have gotten ridiculously expensive, especially overseas. So um, it would probably be much more limited. I imagine it would include you know, interviews, photos, some writing, but I don't think I in- include record reviews in the, in the print scene. I just use it as more of a, you know, more, uh, you know, interviews and things like that. I have interviews I did in 2003 that I never transcribed. They're still sitting on a tape in my drawer here, I think. But yeah, it it just seems like too much of a daunting task. And if I, you know, if I if I ever publish a book, you know, someone else is gonna do it. I did talk to a couple of publishers and it was a while ago. They expressed some interest. So I imagine if I ever decide to write a book, I'd probably be able to find someone to publish it and I wouldn't have to deal with it myself. Because I can't I can't do it at this point. I don't wanna, I don't wanna like. Be schlepping everything to the post office and all that i'm not a kid anymore unfortunately so it's just it, it's kind of it's just um if i ever did a print thing again it's not going to be on that large scale again
2: great
0: um i want like a final question for you um so as far as your your record collection do you have do you know how many that how many records you have
1: oh god i lost count too many <laughs> thousands i'll tell I you imagine, one thing
0: yeah
1: i'll tell you one thing it's a good thing we have a house because i don't if we were still living in our two-bedroom apartment there's no way i would be able to have store all the stuff i have but yeah i got got thousands between the between the records and the cds and the uh uh, uh tapes yeah I, I, and uh all my old zines and stuff I mean, I've, i'm pretty much kept everything it's all organized i know where everything is but yeah, there's a lot of stuff here. So yeah, quite a bit.
0: Yeah, no, I saw you in a, uh, I forget what the name of it, but it was a documentary.
1: Oh, um, Records Collecting Dust, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was in my, yeah, they, they shot that in my record room, quote unquote.
0: Oh wow. <laughs>
1: yeah, that was fun. I don't usually, I'll be honest, I don't usually like doing interviews that much because I, I have difficulty collecting my thoughts. I also sometimes stutter a little bit, um, especially when they've done like, you know, interviews for movies. I I haven't really been comfortable, but that one was an exception because I guess it was talking about something I really love talking about, which is records, you know? Been getting records, like I said earlier, I've been getting records since I was four years old. And between that, you know, you know, getting records when I was a kid and working in record stores and writing and all that, I've, you know, accumulated quite a, quite a few.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm excited no, for the yep. I'm excited for the Netflix documentary on you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know if that's gonna happen.
0: <laughs> well, uh, can't it's been try. really great, Al. Uh, well, thanks for really, doing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I really appreciate you uh, giving us your time and sure. uh, sharing sharing all this uh, amazing stuff with you know from past uh, you know from '82 and in. And all the way up to today. Um, anything else you want to you want to add?
1: Well, I guess just I'll give you my contact info. Uh, website for the radio show is sonicoverload.net. My uh, blog is subvox.blogspot.com. And my email is suburbanvoice. Excuse me. Uh, um, my email is subvox82subvox82 S-U-B-V-O-X at gmail.com. So, yeah, if you want to get in touch with me and I'm also on, I'm on Instagram at at suburban underscore voice. I think that's everything.